This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. The deal you've been waiting for is on now. Ford employee pricing. Details at MetroMotors.com. Now, a TSN 1040 Sports Center update. It was a tough building to play in. You know, they've got a lot of good players on their team. It's going to be a good test, but uh, parity in the league is so tight now. If you're not on top of your game every night, you're, you're probably going to lose. Yeah, Travis Green, any com- anyone can win. Anyone can win on any given night the National Hockey League. Canucks taking on a Sharks team tonight that has not been winning. They've not been beating anyone in the National Hockey League of late. They've lost six in a row. This, after they'd won 11 of 13 games as well. San Jose's been up and down. They're four behind Vancouver in the Pacific. The Canucks have a couple games in hand. The Canucks will start Jacob Markstrom tonight. And the Canucks will also get Brandon Sutter back in their lineup tonight. And Jake the Snake, Jake Vertanen, Shotgun Jake, he's moving up to the top line to play with Miller and Patterson tonight. You know, Millsy has that speed and brings up, uh, you know, good puck protection in, in the zone. And I feel like we can do that together. It'll be a good combo. And, um, you know, if we find Petey, he'll be wanting to shoot. And hopefully we can give him the puck lots. Yeah, that's the idea. If you're playing with Patterson, a good idea. Just give him the puck. Find him in a scoring position, give him the puck. That's how you get assists. Canucks and Sharks, 7 o'clock tonight, pregame 5.30, TSN 1040. Sven Berchi in the minors and doesn't like it there. And who can blame him? Wants to get out. The Canucks say they'll try and accommodate him. Two years left, in fact, the rest of this year and next year left at a contract that pays him $2.3 million a year. Canucks trying to help Berchi find himself a home. Bovillier picks it up on the other side. Two Islanders improved to 22, 7, and 2 of the year. And still five behind Washington. Three more wins to catch Washington. That's the way the league is. Ottawa in overtime over Columbus 4-3. Declare had a hat trick, including the game winner on a power play of the extra frame. Vancouver Giants on the road in Everett tonight. Take on the Silver Tips. They'll be back home on Tuesday night against Prince George. Seahawks tomorrow at Carolina, 10 a.m. We'll have the pregame show for you with Moj and Chris Burns at 8 a.m. on TSN 1040. I'm Brooke Ward. We are the voice of Vancouver. Vancouver Sports, this is the TSN Radio Network. Time to go rink-wide on TSN 1040. Now, here's J.D. Berg and Andrew Wadden. Hey, welcome to Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside Wyatt Arndt this week. Guest co-host J.D. Burke out on assignment for his other job there with Elite Prospects. Doing the World Junior A Challenge in lovely Dawson Creek. Uh, Wyatt, I hear Dawson Creek is just lovely this time of the year. Uh, from what I've seen on the show, a lot of drama, a lot of teenage drama there. But yeah. Uh, yeah, sure <laughs> That's all I know about it. I forgot all about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't want to wait for our lives to be over, my friend. Well done. Well done. Uh, Don Taylor, of course, a, uh, a man of, uh, well, he used to live in Dawson Creek, started his career uh, back there. But uh, JD is there again this week. Uh, I don't know 
hope if he's back with me next week, we'll have to stay tuned uh, for that. But we've got a big show planned for you guys today. Uh, we'll start off, as we always do, by dropping the puck, let you know all the bigger stories that are happening around the NHL uh, over the past week. Then we're going to talk to Corey Pronman uh, from The Athletic. He's the prospect writer uh, for The Athletic. He did a pretty interesting piece called Auditing the Grades for the 2017 NHL Draft. And uh, we'll let you know exactly where he graded the Canucks on that draft, which, of course, you know you know who it brought uh, with uh, Elias Patterson coming to the Canucks uh, with the fifth overall pick in that one. So we'll talk to Corey. Uh, the third segment, we're just going to riff on the Canucks as well. A lot of news uh, to cover uh, for the Canucks. And then in the second hour, we'll head to San Jose, talk to uh, Ross McKeon uh, from the San Francisco Chronicle, NHL.com. And uh, we'll also talk to Harmon Dial, of course. Uh, you guys know him uh, with The Athletic in Vancouver. Uh, before we drop the puck, Wyatt, let's get to uh, some of the bigger stories around the Canucks uh, right now. Maybe the biggest one that we sort of heard from the day, uh, outside of the fact that uh, Brandon Sutter's back, because we'll get to that in just a moment, outside of the fact that Michael Furland has now been placed on LTIR, which we'll get to that in a moment, and outside of the fact that uh, t- t- Taylor Mott might, might be back uh, for the Canucks tomorrow against Vegas. Going to start with Sven Berchi wanting a trade. No surprise there, but it's out there. The agents put it out there. Now the Canucks uh, trying to work out something for Sven. Yeah, it's, it's understandable. Sven, obviously, I think he's he's an NHL player, in my opinion. Um, you know, his contract might make that a bit tricky. Is he 3.7 around there or whatever it is? I think that's going to be tough to move him because of that. But right. yeah. I think they can find a spot for him. And I think it makes sense. Like, I think he went down. He did his due diligence. He's been playing well down there. And if, you know, this is, you know, the quote-unquote prime of his career, he obviously wants to kind of not always a force a move, but he just wants to do what's best for him. So I don't think it's anything that's like, you know, mean spirited, but he just wants to kind of go move on. And we've seen Benning before with Biega help a guy out that kind of wanted to keep going his career going. So a little easier to move Biega though with that contract, right? And it's a little Correct. different with uh, uh, Sven Berchi, who's what two two point two million against the cap right now. I believe that's what it is for Bear. That that doesn't seem right. I'm just kind of looking at a uh, cap friendly. No, it's three point six. That's what it is. So they've uh, got the two point two buried with, of course, yeah, that extra million or whatever. Yep. Uh, when you look at someone like Sven Berchi. Um, I mean, obviously, it's tough to move guys right now because so many teams across the league are capped out. We talked to Rick Dollywall, who broke this story on Sports Saturday, and, you know, it's a dollar-for-dollar dollar kind of thing in this league. So it is tough to make those kind of deals with so many teams not having the space for it. But when you look at him just as a whole, is he an NHL player to you? He still is. Like I'll defend that to, to the end of time. I think he's a good player. Um, I honestly don't quite know why the Canucks soured on him the way they did. I mm-hmm. think he is a guy that, like, if you look at this team, we have so many rotating bottom six guys coming through, and it felt like Barry was a guy that could be more of a, a second-line player for them. But maybe they have other options, the younger players, what a reason they decided to move on from that. But I think another team could find a use for him. Even, like, look at some like Ottawa. Um, they could probably... I mean, not that they're trying to gun for the playoffs, but if you want to bring a guy in, if, if the Canucks take money in the deal just to get rid of his contract, I'm sure they could find a spot for him. But, it, you know, you are right in that, like, what team is going to bring him on? If you're a playoff team, do you view that cap space using Berchi as, like, the go-to thing to go with? Or do you go someone a bit, you know, more skilled than him? I don't necessarily think it's an easy to find him a spot, but I mean, every time I think there's a contract that's unmovable, or, 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 and Berchi is far from being unmovable, um, people find a spot for it. So it's just Benning's just got to do his work. 
Do you think there's value, though, in that contract? Like, so for instance, you talked about the Ottawa Senators. By the way, guys, the Ottawa Senators had themselves a big win today. A 4-3 win over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Anthony DeClaire getting a hattie in that one, including the overtime winner. That's the uh, first of two games that are in the books. Uh, the Islanders. That's all the Islanders do is win, beating your uh, oh. Sabres there. 3-2 <laughs> in overtime. You probably you are... got a point out of it. Nothing bad of that. You're already <laughs> caught up in all of that. Uh, but do you, is, there, is there value in terms of what Bear contract is um, you know maybe for a team like Ottawa who's like got opportunity when it comes to their top six I think so and I think Berchi if anything it's not like he's a troublesome player you can look at he did he went down Utica he, he did the work down there and you know you can view it as that he's a, a good veteran that can come in and I, I do think that he can go to a team and keep producing and if the cap does go up um, his contract will you know be a bit better and say he does go to a new team and does well he can you know don't have to worry about resigning because the cap might go up more I just Again, maybe other people aren't on the Barrett train. I just think he is this. When watching him play with Horvat, I just thought he was a good player. I think he's creative with the puck. I think he's a good puck distributor. And if you're a team looking for a guy to kind of be a bit of a playmaker, I think Barrett's a solid pickup, especially if you're able to, you know, convince the Canucks to, you know, take something back from you just in order to get it off the books. Uh, there's also a report that, you know, Nikolai Goldobin's camp is, and I'm, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I just. I just don't think the NHL is, is the league for Goldie. <laughs> Like it's tough though, right? Like it is. He's gotten so many opportunities. As much like I want, like I'm a fan. I am a fan. I like Goldie, but there's too many times where I I I, I want so much more and I just get so much less. Yeah, I mean, you bring up Duclair, and that's like a poster child of someone that has you know obviously a bit better pedigree than Goldie, but came around. You know, he's kind of had like one year deals, and then this yeah. year he's having another great season again, where he can just finally found a spot and they give him minutes. I do agree. It's hard to imagine a team kind of giving that Duclair treatment to Goldobin and be like, hey, go ahead. Here's your 18 minutes a night. Like, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. Whether it's this, the NHL just doesn't like his style of play, whether he just isn't good enough, that's obviously the big debate about. I think he's a really skilled player. Um, but when they brought him up this year again uh, for the second time, and, like, he played his game and he played his 12 minutes, I'm like, that was a game where I was like, it's never going to work here. Like, yeah. he just doesn't play the way Green wants him to. He's not going to play that way. And, 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 you know, you do see his board work. It's not good. There are lapses. And you do kind of see the, the idea that, if you want to get the most out of Goldobin, you need to put him in an offensive spot. I don't know how many teams are going to be like, you know what, let's let's put a second line spot to this kid, yeah, right? No like, it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And, and you know, maybe maybe a, a few seasons in the KHL might be good for Goldobin. Maybe we'll see him back. He's still very, happens, very right? young, right? They so, go over there, they have like two great seasons, they yeah. get another contract back here, it could happen. Yeah. I hope I'm wrong. Like, he is a really nice, polite kid, and he does have a lot of skill, but like, for whatever reason, like, he's just... It just seems like his skill set, like you said, is something that doesn't uh, resonate with a lot of NHL coaches. Yeah. yeah. Uh, lastly, here with the Canucks, before we uh, drop the puck on the rest of the NHL stories, uh, Brandon Sutterback, pretty good to see here. He's missed the last 13 games. A uh, guy that's had a lot of hard luck here as a Canuck, but uh, back in the lineup tonight against the Sharks. And uh, you know, what, what do you think Sutter's going to bring to the table here for the Canucks? Uh, I think it gives Green a lot more... Uh you can do a lot more things within the lineup. Like right now, he's been leaning on Bo a lot, and everyone's been talking about Bo's offense drying up because he's using Bo for so much in the defensive end and all that that sort of stuff. You know, whether you agree with Sutter being a defensive shutdown guy or not, uh, Green does use him that way, and so that will allow them to definitely, you know, kind of get Bo maybe a few more offensive chances, and they can rely on Sutter for more of the penalty kill stuff and a game stuff. So, and we do have a guy in the inbox right now. So you're basing this on eight minutes of ice time with Goldobin uh, to the texter with the sample is not just that small. We've seen a lot of Goldobin, and, and I think at this point it's uh, it's time to move on. All right, let's drop the puck. Time to drop the puck and get updated on the top stories of the past week. 
just I love that guy. I don't know why. <laughs> All right. So uh, a couple of big stories here that are circulating around the NHL this year or this week. Uh, one of them involving coaching. And this time it wasn't something that the coach did, you know, that was off the ice or, or whatever. It's, it's related to uh, on the ice. Pete DeBoer gets the axe by the San Jose Sharks. Um, are you surprised that it was DeBoer that walked the plank and not Doug Wilson? Or, uh, you know, is he maybe first and perhaps without any sort of success this year, Wilson might be next? I was surprised Hedberg got let go. He was part of that coaching crew. I didn't realize Hedberg was in San Jose. Um, no, I think at this point, San Jose, like, well, San Jose always makes the playoffs. And I think they're a really good team to look at, like, should they rebuild or should they retool? And they, they've always seemed to retool. And I'm actually surprised they kept the window going with the way they did. And um, I think the coach makes the most sense in this case in that it's an easy kind of target. Like, I don't necessarily think DeBoer was the problem at all, but if you're the GM, like, that is kind of like, we always talked about in Vancouver, the easiest target, you know, would have been the coaching, and then, and then Benny can take, you know, oh, it's coaching first, then me, that's kind of how the NHL works. So I, I wasn't surprised that that happened that way, but I was a bit surprised that DeBoer was let go, to be honest. And do, do you, like, because Doug Wilson's leash has been very, very long with this team, and they, like you said, they always make the playoffs, they've had, you know, relative success, uh, but never able to, you know, win the ultimate prize, but he's not one of those guys that, like, he's a He's a big game hunter, and he's able to pull off those sort of trades, bring in the type of players. I, I was talking to Jason Croker about this while we were uh, on break there during Sports Saturday, and I said, you know, he has supplied each coach that he's had under his regime with, with the Sharks, the players, to be able to have success. They just haven't been able to do it. But at some point, like, where does that lay on Wilson as well, right? So pretty interesting that he's still, you know, the, in, in that seat as the GM of the team. Uh, another player that is up uh, on the trading block right now, he's been pulled out of the lineup for the New Jersey Devils, uh, Taylor Hall. A uh, lot of speculation about where he's going to go. Uh, I'll ask you, what do you think is the best fit? Because the Arizona Coyotes are sniffing around right now, and as far as the Canucks are concerned, they should be weary about that. Yeah, it always feels like the Coyotes have to make the playoffs once every 10 years, so maybe they're gearing up for that. So, um, <laughs> little shot there. Little shot the Coyotes. <laughs> yeah, your 10 fans are mad. Um, yeah, I, it's fun. Like, Coyotes are a good story, and, and I think even like when Kessel goes there and seeing how excited everyone was, and it is kind of fun seeing him play on that team, there is, you know, like, I don't necessarily like that market. I think the NHL has done everything in their power to keep it there when it necessarily didn't need to be there. So I think I'm a bit kind of, like, blasé towards them. But if, you're, you know, you're trying to build off a good season, they got some good young pieces there. You got Kessel at Hall. Like, it would be interesting to see them have him as a player. Would he stay there? I, I, I have a hard time seeing that unless they empty the banks for him. Um, for an actual fit play-wise, I think the NHL should be, like, deathly afraid of Colorado. Imagine him on Colorado and that speed. Like, that, to me, is, is the biggest fear that everyone should have. Like, just, oh, man, that makes me wake up in sweats just thinking about that one. It's interesting, though, because if you look at Arizona right now, they're capped out. So they would have to make a, a move in terms of moving somebody else uh, with uh, salary. I don't know exactly. Do they still legacy contracts on there? Like, Datsuka, are those all gone now? Like, uh, the infamous, like... Yeah, Pronger. No. Yeah, they're gone. No, they're, 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 they're carrying Marion Hosa. There right he goes, now. one of them. I knew they had yeah. one still. Yeah, they've got uh, Marion Hosa's 5.2. That legendary uh, Cody. <laughs> yeah, LTIR. Um, yeah, you're right about the Colorado Avalanche, but I did talk to, um, who was I talking to earlier in the show? Was it Do- Dollywall about this? And I asked, hey, like, you know, if Bowen Byram is, is the asking price, he says, absolutely not. And I believe on the Ray and Dreg's most recent podcast, they were saying the same thing that 
that that's a steep price to well, pay for Hall. Like that's the thing. Anytime there's like a star like this who a, is like publicly wants out and you know is a, a player of his stature, the return is never what you think it should be. Like people are always going with like, okay, it's going to be like a first round. Like one guy in Twitter I think was like, well, maybe maybe New Jersey wants to get Quinn Hughes to go play with his brother, and then they can throw him Pod Coles in and a first. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, who would, like what? Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you if you are thinking that sort of mentality, stop watching hockey. Yeah. Like just don't be a fan of the Canucks. Like, that, that is just absolutely it was insane, asinine. right? Like yeah. yeah. And so like, anytime you see a trade, like I said, you don't often get like what you think is a fair trade. And, like you know, look at the Canucks. They were really lucky that when Burry wanted out, that they got Jovanovski back. That worked yeah. out really well in the hero. But even then, that, like that was the main piece was Jovo, and then like it was like you know, Dave Gagne, not a throw in from Freiburg, right? So it's like if Hall goes, I don't think it will cost a buyer. They'll get they're lucky to get like a. a, a a prospect that's pretty decent, and then maybe a late first rounder. Like that'll be like a haul for them, I think. Yeah, I've got the uh, Colorado's page. Yeah, they're, they've, they're fine in terms of their uh, first round picks. They still hold all of them for the next uh, three seasons. Don't have a second round pick. They have Toronto's third, of course, which came over in the Nazem Kadri trade. But they got cap, and not only yep. do they have cap, they've got cap moving forward. And kind of the best part of that for uh, the Colorado Avalanche is the fact that you have the best valued contract in the NHL. In Nate McKinnon at $6.3 million. Unbelievable. And I know people still go, how the heck did they pull that off? Well, you got to keep in mind, when McKinnon signed that deal, he was, what, a 50-point player? Was kind of coming off. Uh, he started high, came, went down a little low. And now he's, uh, you know, they got him through. To, they don't have to re-sign him until the 23-24 season. That's ridiculous. That is just <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. So, that, yeah, you're right. They could uh, not only bring Hall in, but they could also sign him as well. If you're Hall's camp... You know, I know that you don't have a lot of leverage in terms of where you can go, but man, you must be pushing for that. Yeah, I think they're going to do anything they can to kind of go that situation. But again, worst case scenario, you know, Hall can go wherever he wants and then he'll sign his big deal in the offseason. So I think for him, though, it's important. Like, yeah, even though Arizona's kind of a weird spot, as long as they're a playoff team, he can raise his stock. That's that's good for him. Now, I want to ask you about the uh, World Juniors right now because there were some significant cuts this year, uh, uh, this week. Alex Newhook, of course, former BCHLer playing in uh, uh, the NCAA nowadays. Uh, he's out of Newfoundland. And, uh, of, and, and Kirby Dock is not going to join the team. Uh, from the um, Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, Peyton Krebs as well getting uh, cut by the team. Uh, just your general thoughts on that. I mean, you, these type of players, you look at that and you go, hey, well, Canada must be stacked if they're not taking those guys on. I mean, that's kind of the thing Canada always kind of does where they have maybe the coach has an idea of what kind of team he wants and sometimes they want, like, we want a fourth line of grinder and, like, uh, you know, we don't want skill everywhere. Maybe we feel certain players can't play in a role we ask of them. Like, if they want to be a first liner, we need to be a third liner. So I think there's a lot of that goes into it and I'm I always think it could be a bit of overthinking, but again, it, it is Canada. They are stacked, right? Like yeah. I always treat what they come up with, but every year there's always a name on there that I'm going to be like, well, "Are you sure about that?" And yeah. you know, it's it's hard for me to get too critical of it, but yeah. What about Jet Wu? Were you surprised that he didn't get at least an invite? I was, but like that's more because I wanted to see, like, like selfishly, I want to see how he plays in the big stage. I'm like, yeah, let's see him out there again. Like I want to see how he does. And it, it, again, it's it's so hard to tell what the coaches wanted of their players. And maybe you know, Jet Wu's season hasn't been as good as last year, so maybe they see that, and you know, or they have fill his skill sets filled by someone else. So, again, it's more of a, I'd rather wait till it's over than, than to criticize them. <laughs> With all yeah. my hindsight. Of course. <laughs> you guys were wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just circling back there um, on Taylor Hall a little bit. Uh, it's being reported right now that there are five to six teams in the mix right now, including uh, the Florida Panthers. And there's, there's an interesting team uh, to be in the mix in the Florida Panthers.
Panthers. Where, what are your thoughts on the Panthers in terms of you know where they're at as a team, as a as a franchise right now? You know they're uh, currently uh, fifth place in the division, tied with Tampa Bay right now. Um, you know, and obviously we know how they struggle at the gate. Uh, they're four points out of the second wild card. Would a player like Taylor Hall be the guy to kind of get Florida back over the top and you know perhaps in the mix right now? I don't necessarily think that's the case, but it's like if you add a player of Hall's skill level, like that can change a lot of things. I can see why they want to do that, right? Like, hey, inject if they believe in what their team has and they think you can inject some, you know, a big dose of talent to the lineup, I can see that. But you know, obviously Bobrovsky has been struggling. That's been not good from this year at all. Yeah, he's yeah. I think he's missing Ian Clark a bit. (laughs) Exactly phone him up. Hey guy. So I think for them, like that team, yeah. Again, it's also just a whole weird history of how like, you know, the computer boys come in there, analytics comes in for a bit. Then Dell Talon comes back. It's like, thank God I'm back. And they start trading away these contracts. Oh, Vegas is so happy that he came back for sure. And now you kind of have like this weird combination of like analytics and Dale Talon's old school like kind of regime. And it's like, yeah. I think that's what we're seeing. It's like they just haven't found like, it's kind of like when Lyndon and was here with Benning. You kind of didn't know what path they're on. And it feels like out of Florida, like I don't know what path they're on. Yeah. it's And then the thing is too, though, this is such a weird year, uh, especially, you know, on both sides, the East and the West, but especially in the East, you know, you got teams like, you know, Toronto are out of a playoff spot right now. Now, Tampa Bay's out of a, a playoff spot right now. You know, Florida, as I mentioned, who's a team that, you know, tried to do some things in the offseason to get themselves up. Columbus right now, just 30 points in 32 games. And I know they've, you know, took a lot of, uh, you know, a bit of a, a hit in terms of their roster. But there is still, you know, uh, those playoff spots up for grabs right now. And, and Florida just one point out of that third spot uh, in the Atlantic Division. And, of course, uh, the Sabres right up there at 39 points as well. So uh, a pretty interesting interesting uh, season nonetheless out out east and uh, we'll see how things factor out because uh, you know if you got te- like it's I kind of feel like it's good for the league to have teams like Arizona and Florida in the mix when it comes to these big time players because these are two you know teams that you don't really expect to be in that sort of mix uh, so it, it It'll be interesting to see where it, how it all uh, trickles down. But uh, Colorado, I'll tell you what: if Colorado gets Taylor Hall, a phone your bookie. Like just, it'll be know. so much fun to watch. Oh just, my goodness! Oh, the speed and the skill. Like it's yeah. Colorado is just a fun team, man. Yeah. Like and Nate McKinnon, like is probably one of my most favorite players to watch in NHL. Like the things that guy can do. Oh, is I just, love it. It's a cheat code. That, exactly, and that goal that he scored in uh, the three on three here uh, against the Canucks. I mean, I'll take that. Just that, inject that in my vein all day. Oh, I love when that. Horvat backed off for one second. You're like, oh, it's over. (laughs) You're done. Absolutely. Uh, On the other side, guys, we are going to talk to Corey Pronman from The Athletic. He did a piece where he re-audited the 2017 draft, and, well, you're going to want to hear the grade that he gave the Vancouver Canucks. It's the show that always scores. It's rink-wide right here on TSN 1040. And... Elias Pedersen in that, and uh, well, Corey kind of rejigged that draft, so let's bring him into the conversation now. Uh, Corey, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. All right, so taking a look here, and we're, of course, you know, being here in Vancouver, we're going to focus on the Vancouver Canucks. At the time, the was the grade that you gave them was a B plus after that draft. However, you've regraded it now, re-audited it if you want to say, and you've given them an A my uh, A plus. Is that yeah? That's an A plus. So. Yeah, T- tell us how that got swayed because I see you've redone the draft and oh, Canuck fans are going to like this. You've got Pedersen as the top guy. Yeah, well, I mean, I think 
in the National Hockey League, uh, the most important piece for any franchise is the cornerstone number one center, and and that's what he's developed into. Uh, I mean, he is a he is a true legitimate star number one center, and uh, and that alone could just really just make you, um, you know, you know the prize of, of the draft, and and you add on to that that I you look that Cole Lynn's progression in a second pro season. You know, I'm not sure if the speed or the skills that lead enough to be a top six, but he's looking now at least like he's a guy who's trending to play in the National Hockey League. Mikey DiPietro is a solid prospect. Jack, Rath- Jack Rathbone's having a really good season. And, you know, if, if they can just add one or two extra NHL players on to getting a legitimate star number one center, you know, that's a pretty good haul. When you look at a player like uh, Mikey DiPietro, uh, you know, being a goaltender for the Canucks and his size, you know, some people might question that. I believe there was only one goalie that went in the first round of that draft. When you look at DiPietro and you kind of uh, reassess him, where do you think he would go? Do you think he would go a little bit higher in the draft or was he kind of right in the spot uh, that he originally fell? Uh, he, he went third round, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think probably he goes in the second round now. I think he's a guy who projects to play in the National Hockey League. Uh, I don't think it's a lock for him to be a starting goalie, which is where you would probably slot a guy if he was a first, as a first-round pick. Uh, but I think he's definitely a, he's definitely a guy I think he's going to play. I think there's enough you know, upside there to potentially be a starter, but you know, the question is going to be you know, whether it's going to be in Vancouver, given Markstrom and Demko on the same depth chart. Uh, Wyatt here, a question for you, Corey. Uh, Petrus Palmu was a guy that kind of came in with a bit, like everyone thought, oh, good value, sixth round, um, kind of didn't work out in Utica. Uh, is that a guy you still see as being like an angel player down the line, whether it's, you know, bottom line or whatever? I don't know if he's an NHL player. I don't know if the skating is good enough. But given the year he's having in Finland right now, he's at the very least interesting enough to keep monitoring and to watch him and to see how he's progressing. Uh, you're right. It didn't go very well in Utica. I'm not really sure they they really uh, uh, waited that long either before before sending him back to Finland. But uh, he's definitely a guy at least worth uh, keeping an eye on and to see how he's progressing and if uh, if he gets invited to the World Championship. Another question, just because looking over your list of the, you know, auditing the draft, uh, Nolan Patrick, a guy, obviously, you know, a lot of hype was around him. Did he drop down? You had him listed as 12 now. Is that just purely because of injuries? It's partly because of the injuries, just because the injury he's have now, the migraine disorders, is a very uh, unique injury and one that you, you wonder, you know, that puts a little bit of uh, uncertainty around him. Uh, but when he's been healthy, I think he's still been a pretty good player. Like, I still see a guy who, if healthy, can be a very good top six forward. Um, but I think there's always been kind of a question on him, of like, you know, is he a game breaker? Like, even when he was a junior, like, there was never really, like, a wow factor around him like there was for like a guy like Makar or Pedersen. Um, and, and for that reason, I, I probably even if he was 100% healthy, he probably still wouldn't be like a top five guy in that draft right now. We're talking to Corey Promen from The Athletic. He's a prospects writer for The Athletic. When you uh, re-jigged you know, jigged the, um, the, the draft uh, in that, the, the 2017 draft, and of course you've got Elias Pedersen that made the jump from you know fifth overall pick. You've got him as the number one guy. Who else really stood out in terms of uh, maybe someone that uh, was a little bit lower down but made a significant jump up? 
I, I think Vegas got had a really good draft in that regard. There's there's three guys that went outside the first round, and I think if we redid that draft right now, it would at least be in the discussion to be a first round pick. Uh, you know, whether it be Nick Hague, who's currently on their roster, Lucas Elvinus, who has a 20 year old, has been one of the leading scorers in the AHL. Jack Dugan, who in in college is you know the leading scorer by a large margin right now. Uh, you know, those are several of the guys who, uh, when I'm looking back on that, I think, you know, that Vegas seemed to have a very good uh, draft class to go along with the three first round picks they had. And some people in the inbox here saying uh, Kale McCarr over EP40, 1D is more valuable uh, than a top line center. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I would disagree. I think, you know, I, I've looked, you know, I, I don't consider myself a, a person who has elite statistical or mathematical skills, but when I've seen people dig into that issue, into the research, it, it tends to suggest that the senders tend to be more valuable. They tend to drive play at a higher level. Um, and I just think if you look at the history of the NHL teams, uh, you know, having truly elite senders, not that elite defensemen are not extremely valuable, but I definitely think the star number one center is is the core foundation for any championship team. When you look at this year's draft, a lot of people are focusing on 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 this year's draft and how you know big it's supposed to be. If you look around, say you know the fifteen to sixteen, because that's where the Canucks could end up. Now, of course, they've got the cho- whether they make the playoffs or not. They've got that first round pick, but they have to give it uh, at some point away. When you look at this draft, was this the kind of draft that you want to be you know flirting with that, especially with how deep it is. Um, I I would say I don't know if it's like that deep. I, I mean, I've talked to some NHL folks who like it and some NHL folks who don't like it. Um, I, I don't. I, from what I've seen, I have not seen a draft class that is so exceptional um, in terms of depth that it's going to change in any way. I think around where that draft slot was, it looks pretty standard. Um, yeah, we have a lot can change between now and June. Um, but as of now, I don't, like, I mean, you're, if we're talking about 15, you know, that could be, you know, I think at, at that point, most of the top tier guys will be gone by that point. So uh, I don't think it's different than a typical draft at 15 or 16. Uh, Corey, question if you, you know, not to put you in the spot, if, but if you were to re audit 2018, would you have Tyler Madden's stock a bit higher? Cause he's getting a lot of hype now. And, and is that something that surprised you or where would you have him? You know, he's still a third round guy to you. He, oh, I mean, he would be he would be much higher. He's definitely a top two round, if not a first round guy in, in a redraft. I and mean, he's been just awesome in college hockey. Um, I, I don't, I don't. Maybe you, I think Jet Wu might go a little bit lower, but I think he would definitely be a lot higher. Okay, I, I, I can't. Someone in the inbox here wants us to ask you about Ole Uolevi. I don't know how much you yeah. know about you know what's going on with Uolevi and you know his his injury history. But from what you've scouted before on Uolevi, you know is is he going to be an NHL player for the Canucks here? Or is it just you know the injuries that are holding them back right now? Yeah, I think he will be. When I've watched him in Utica, when he's been healthy, I thought he's looked very good. I mean, I think you may remember early in the season when they were just on a roll when he was healthy. He was playing big minutes for them. Like, I, I do see a good player. I don't see a great player. He's not, I don't, you know, if you ever expect him to live to that fifth overall pick, uh, it, it's not going to happen. But I definitely think he's a good player. He's mobile. He's skilled. He can make plays. Um, and when he's been playing in Utica, uh, you know, he's been playing in all situations. Uh, I still think he's a good player. Uh, so obviously Vancouver, uh, they quite like Quinn Hughes. Might be surprising. Uh, have you like has he surprised you at all, or is he just what you thought he'd be? 
he, I mean, I thought he was one of the best players outside the NHL. Uh, you know, I did, you know, I would probably have been somewhat, you know, cautious in terms of projecting how he's going to do in his first season. I didn't think he'd be, you know, quite this good where you're talking about like, you know, he's a, a driving player at, as, a, as a rookie, a 20-year-old rookie, I believe is how old he is. Um, and you, even though he was picked rather high, you start talking about okay, is he, you know, one, two, three in that draft class right now? Like he's he's just been awesome. Now, put you on the spot as well with this 2018 draft. Maybe we're getting ahead of things because you'll you'll probably end up doing this piece next year. But Quinn Hughes at seven in that draft, would there be an argument that he should have been first overall? I think a year ago that would have been a uh, a very odd assertion to make, just because Dalene was just so awesome as an 18 year old, and he has so much skill, and you know, you know, I think he had more points in the NHL than Quinn did in college, albeit much shorter season in college. Um, you know, a year later, you know, I still think Dalene's skill level was just elite, elite. So I probably wouldn't say at one. Uh, he, he would unseat him just yet, but I think the debate is much more reasonable than it was a year ago. Did Detroit make a mistake? But that, uh, yeah, I mean, just that being said, Dowling has not had his best season. He's yeah. had some struggles, which is why I think those com- the combination of both how good Quinn has been and that Dowling not been, you know, lights out this season makes that debate more reasonable. Did, did Detroit make a mistake by taking Zadina ahead of Hughes because of the fact, I mean, they had Hughes in their backyard really being a University of Michigan guy and we've seen that uh, uh, Zadina sort of had a slow start to his professional career. Uh, do you think they made a mistake there? I think Hughes is better, but I do still think Zadina is a great player. And after kind of a so-so first pro season, I think he looked very good in the American League and in the NHL when he's been up with the Red Wings. I think he's going to be a great player over the long term. But, yeah, between the two of them, I think Quinn just has, you know, a, a game-breaking element that I, I think Z is really talented. I just don't think he has, he can do the things that Quinn can do. All right, Corey. Uh, great stuff. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, today. We'll uh, meet up again down the road. Yep, sure thing. Corey Promen from The Athletic. He's the prospects writer over at The Athletic. And, yeah, I mean, obviously his piece is on the uh, 2017 draft. And uh, you got to like what uh, the analysis that he's given back about that draft with the, you know, after he rejigged it and having Elias Patterson atop that draft. There are some people in the inbox that are arguing that, uh, you know, a, a, a number one D is a little more rare. There, You know, I can hear both sides of that. Uh, however, that 2018 draft, now that I look at it, uh, you know, Dalene first, Svechnikov second, and then Kotkaniemi at three. And I think that's really where Hughes kind of probably should have fallen to uh, was three. Because Svechnikov, there's an argument, you know, that guy's just going to be a great player. Uh, Dalene is Dalene. We know he's going to be a number one D-man. But Kotkaniemi has not... Uh, I mean, he's with the, the Canadians, but he hasn't really, what, he's got 39 points in 101 games. And then after that, it's Brady Kachuk. And yeah, Brady Kachuk, yeah, I, I like his game quite a bit. But I feel like Hughes should have, you know, if he went third in that draft, I think that would be the space where you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you had a lot of people. The biggest thing was his size. Like, if he was 6'2", he's the number one overall pick, for sure. Yeah. Like, it's always his size. It's always his size. But the people who did watch him I talked to, people who watched Quinn Hughes, 
were almost like cocky and confident. Like it didn't matter where he went because they knew he was going to be a great player. Like yeah. they were like, no, this kid, this kid's going to excel. And a lot of people would say like, well, will his skill set translate to NHL? Like those fancy things he's doing, that's not going to translate to NHL. Yeah. But look at his edge work. He's he's deking out like veterans <laughs> out there, right? This kid, like every ten of best skater ever played with, like yeah. he's like unreal. And like every day, Vancouver should be thanking that Detroit. Detroit did a mistake. I'm going to say it. They made a mistake. Yeah. They hundred percent. They, 100%, no, they yeah. should be thinking about it every day of their life. <laughs> what did we do wrong? Why did we do this? Sadina might be a nice player, and you know. The, the, the jury's still out on that one, so we'll, we'll find out about that uh, perhaps down the road. But yeah, the, I, I believe that Detroit, I mean, did, I feel like Detroit really made a mistake, and I feel like Arizona as well. I mean, Barrett Hayden as well uh, could be a decent player too. I think Buffalo, Carolina, and Ottawa are happy with their picks. I think Montreal really, uh, although Montreal, they needed though. They need, they, you know, they're drafting over need maybe. But, but who doesn't want Quinn Hughes in their team? That's like, true. How, like, no, look that's at true. Look at, okay, if he drives play. Yeah. 27 points, 36 games. This yeah. kid is 20 years old. Yeah. They're asking him to play 20 plus minutes a night and he looks great doing it. Like and This is unheard of in Vancouver. Oh, he's going to smash. He's going to smash. I'm the- sorry, Lou May, but your time is done. It's <laughs> off the record, folks. <laughs> he's gonna Quinn Hughes is coming for you. Records. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the one thing I love about Quinn Hughes, too, is that he puts himself into these high danger sort of areas, situations, and then just gets out of them like it's nothing. It's it's. If you're Travis Green, you're like, just just go. Just I, wild horses, just I, run. I want more people to still grill Travis Green in a fun way, but how he wasn't a PP one right oh, away. I know. Like, how, <laughs> like he needs more time to adjust. Are you kidding me? Give, can he use more ice? That's, that's like candy. And, oh no, 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 no. Uh, on the other side, guys, we're going to continue to unpack the uh, Vancouver Canucks here as they uh, head into a, what we feel is a pivotal weekend with two divisional games uh, tonight against the San Jose Sharks and tomorrow in Vegas, Vegas baby against the Golden Knights. Keep it locked right here. It's the show that always scores. The Drink Wide on TSN. 10. 40. Now, more of Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watt. Hey, welcome back to Rink Wide. It's the show that always scores. Wyatt aren't in for J.D. Burke today. If you guys want to interact with us throughout the show, you can text us at 1040.40, email live at tsn1040.ca. You can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Andrew Wadden. That's W-A-D-D-E-N. Can they fax us? Do we have faxes? We have a fax. Oh, okay. heck yeah. We okay. got everything yeah, around here. Sure. <laughs> we got everything around here. Except for podcasts that don't work sometimes. But anyway. Whoa, whoa, that's a, there. That's a whole other story. Uh, at the stanchion for you as yes, well. Sir. If you want to hit up Wyatt or at TSN. Uh, 1040. Guys, we are going to release the code word for the Wired Snowboards contest a little bit later. If you weren't listening to Sports Saturday, then you're going to want to listen here because we will be releasing that code word uh, pretty soon. Want to give a shout out to Faber and Nanaimo. Uh, we see you in the inbox there, Faber. And of course, uh, he says, great show so far, guys. Keeping me company on my fer- ferry ride. And of course, uh, uh, Faber has a podcast of his own. And uh, we will have Faber one day here in the rink-wide uh, TSN studios for a rink wide round table. Our producer, though, is telling us we had to be short here, so we will be. But we'll be back on the other side. You're going to hear from the Moj here. He's out in uh, Surrey there. And uh, on the other side, we are going to... Talk to Ross McKeon from the San Francisco Chronicle, NHL.com. Get you the shark side of things because yeah, things aren't going so well in San Jose uh, right now as the Canucks head in to San Jose to face the Sharks tonight. So keep it locked. It is Rinkwide, the show that always scores, and it's right here on TSN 1040. You're listening to Rinkwide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watt. 
Family Scores. Andrew Wadden alongside Wyatt Arndt today, a.k.a. the stanchion from The Athletic in Vancouver. Uh, J.D. Burke out on assignment with Elite Prospects right now doing the World Junior A Challenge. Uh, who's on the Armies tonight? That's me, sir. Oh, you yeah, are? Yeah, after this, oh. I'm going to go right over there. Yeah, good timing. Perfect. Yeah. So look forward to that tonight, guys, uh, of the San Jose Sharks playing host to the Vancouver Canucks, and that's where we're going to head right now. Ross McEwen is going to join us uh, from NHL.com, the San Francisco Chronicle. Ross, thanks for joining us once again. I think this is the uh, second yeah. time we've had you here on Rinkwide. Yeah, it's been a little while. Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, a little bit of shark news, so it's probably appropriate about now. Yes, yes. And uh, I don't can't remember what the, where they were the last time we spoke to you because it was early in the season. However, right now, things are not so great there in San Jose. Uh, losers of six straight. They've made a coaching change. Uh, what the hell is going on with the Sharks right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, they they rallied from that four ten and one start to go over five hundred, and things looked like maybe they were back on track, but for really no reason at all. Then they took a nosedive thereafter, and I think you know Doug Wilson held the press conference uh, on Thursday and suggested that there was just something that was lacking in terms of energy and joy and no juice. He used those three words as what was missing when he kind of really looked at the whole situation, you know, above and beyond results, just basically attitude, the way they're playing, you know, just the, the energy was low. And he, he did not see that changing without, you know, a new voice in the room. And we, I think most can agree, Peter DeBoer is an outstanding coach, but five years now, you know, in the league uh, for with one team is pretty much an eternity, I guess. And uh, this is what happens if you can't make a big trade and the Sharks are salary crap, cap strapped and they have guys with you know, no trade. So I'm sure that was an avenue that Doug probably looked at first and couldn't see a, a difference maker type deal. And so the next thing you go to these days, obviously, is changing the coach. So that's where we're at. And um, Bob Buchner has basically inheriting the same, you know, collection of pieces that need to fit together somehow that Peter DeBoer left. And uh, that's that's where we're at. There's, you know, a lot of different line changes, some different roles. So they've hinted at how they're going to try to play a little differently. And, uh, you know, this will be the second game, and they'll see if they can not kind of maybe get it right tonight. The Sharks haven't, uh, they've only missed the playoffs, what, once since uh, the 2003-2004 uh, season. Uh, Doug Wilson, of course, the architect of uh, this current team. You, how hot is his seat now? Because there are a lot of people that look at this and go, really, you're, you're moving on the coach when, you know, this guy's been here so much longer. They still can't seem to find, you know, the success for the ultimate goal. They've been close. But uh, where's Doug Wilson sitting in all of this? Well, sure. This I think that's where you look next. If this goes south and they miss, you know, on one hand you say, well, wow, he's done a, a pretty good job. He's only missed twice and. 16 years, but you know what? It's it's what have you done for me lately? As opposed to anything else, uh, once to the Cup final in 16, you know, out of those all those playoff appearances, so that's disappointing. You know, they've kind of mortgaged some of their future with the deal for Eric Carlson last year to acquire him from Ottawa. They don't have a first round pick coming up this summer, so you know the cupboard's kind of bare in terms of picking. You know, high, and when they pick, they don't pick high; they pick. 
you know, their average draft spot's been 28th. And so that's also something like, like a Detroit has always had to kind of work around to try to, you know, restock your, your prospect pool. And, and it's not easy when you're not picking in the top 10, but the trade-off is you're in the playoffs a lot. So long story short, I think Doug does come into focus if this doesn't work, you know, because, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, what's the direction? What's the plan? That's what the ownership's going to want to see. What's the plan that's going to get us back to being contender status if you miss this year? And uh, so I definitely think he would become, you know, I'm not suggesting he would be fired, but I think that would be the first place you would start to look to make sure, do you have a plan going forward that you're still confident in that looks like it could work? And that's what he's going to have to prove. Uh, Wyatt here. He's got a couple of Joe-based questions. Uh, one, do you think this team misses Joe Pavelski? I know obviously he was such an important player for them, but do you think it would be different if he was still around? It's a great question. Really is. Um, I think Logan Couture was completely ready to assume the captain's role, and he has a lot of support in you know in the room now with Patty Marlowe back with the team, Joe Thornton, Brent Burns. Uh, there's a lot of guys that are leaders. Eric Carlson is taking on more of a role and more more of a voice. You know, so there was plenty of support in terms of losing the leadership part, but still the thing Joe Pavelski did that I think was underrated and maybe not noticed was he did know how to manage that room, all 20 guys. And, um, you know, besides the fact he's the best tipper in the league and they certainly missed that on their struggling power play, he also just had a calming influence. And, and not to suggest that Logan Couture doesn't, but he, he definitely has put a lot on his shoulders right now with this tough early start and I think it's a tough time for him to break in and be a, a captain you know even though he's not doing anything wrong it's just he feels probably a lot responsible for some of this where Joe Pavelski if he were still here there would be you know that less less feeling of change and he probably could recognize a few things I think Brent Burns misses Joe Pavelski because Brent Burns is going through a real tough stretch right now and, and Burns and Pavelski were pretty close and I think uh, Pavs had a way of being able to kind of calm him down reel him in make him focus because he's a very sensitive guy who cares a whole lot and right now I think his mind is going in a lot of different directions and I think maybe a guy like Pavelski could have helped him focus you know and just kind of block out some of the white noise and get get back to the productive player he's been. Let's uh, swing over to Joe Thornton then obviously he's a bit of an ageist wonder. You're going to have the question every year if this will be his last year and obviously the team's struggling maybe it's been unfair of me to ask that but do you think do you get the sense that this might be the, the last year we see of Joe Thornton? It could be, you know. I think he's really struggled, uh, quite quite honestly, um, so far. He doesn't have a goal in 43 games. We're going back to March 18th of last season. Not that he's a big goal scorer, but you'd, you'd think he'd run into one, you know. And uh, it, what what it looks like to me is the mind is definitely still there, but the legs are having a, a hard time getting to the spots he wants to get to. Uh, he can still pass as well as anyone in the league, but he can't always, you know, get in there and get to the places he wants to get to set up, you know, the, the forecheck, the cycle, and the great scoring opportunities that he's, you know, kind of provided line mates with for years and years and years. So he says that, you know, I'll be better in January than December. I'll be better in December than November. And that, that has been the case with him in the recent past, that as the season goes along, he does get better. But it's it's tough waiting in the meantime. Uh, one thing Bob Bugner has done, just one game, is he moved him from third-line center up to number two center. Well, I'm curious to see how he handles those minutes, those extra minutes, because, again, I I see him slipping a little in terms of his legs. 
Um, I do think he needs to be with better line mates. So if he's with Hurdle and LeBanc, you know, uh, that helps his game maybe. You know, well, so what's a trade-off? Can he play 16, 17, 18 minutes a game and maybe find his game a little bit again? But it's, I, it's, it's a big ask right now for, uh, for him, the way the game's going. He's 40 years old, you know. Uh, Patty Marlowe still has those legs, but Joe seems to be slipping a little. Ross, uh, speaking of trying to find his game again, Martin Jones struggling again this year. Uh, here the stat here. Of the 50 goalies in the NHL to start at least 10 games this season, Jones ranks 49th in save percentage with just an 888 uh, save percentage. Uh, five on five, the Sharks have the worst save percentage in the league at 87.7. Uh, I mean, they are hitched to Jones for a while in terms of that contract. Uh, do you find, do you see a way that he can get out of this funk? Because, I mean, he did have a relatively good playoff, a bit of a slow start uh, to that postseason, but was able to find his game again. Is there uh, any signs that he'll be able to do that again this season? Sure. Yeah, and then here's what they're what they're looking at to, to help both goaltenders um, regain form and maybe climb over the 900% mark and stop stopping pucks. Because clearly, like you suggest, save percentage is, is way too low uh, to be a contender. They really need to clean up their defensive end in the slot. They they lead the league in high-quality uh, opportunities against in the slot area. So that um, makes it tough on goalies. I mean, if a guy's in shooting from the middle of the ice from 10, 12, 15 feet away, you know, you're, it's tough. That's a tough save percentage to maintain. So they think that's a team problem less than a, as a goalie problem. Specifically, technique-wise, Johan Hedberg was let go along with DeBoer and two assistants. Uh, Hedberg was the goalie coach. Evgeny Nabokov is now the new goaltending coach, and he has been on the ice for three straight days. Very vocal, a lot of drills. So I think he will try to help Jones maybe tweak a few things in his game, and we'll see how that goes. Um, Evgeny Nabokov had a tremendous working relationship with Warren Stralow when Nabokov played, and of course he was a 10-year you know, standout with the Sharks to set all their franchise records. So I know a lot has rubbed off, and I know how important Stralow was to Nabokov, and I think he wants to give that back to Jones and Dell. And so I think he'll work very hard with these guys to try to tweak, look at video, work with, you know, build their confidence, whatever that takes. So it's a combination between the team play in front, directly in front in the slot, and maybe some tweaks to technique to try to get Jones and Dell back to, you know, where they need to be uh, because you can't win in this league with, you know, a less than 900 save percentage for all season long. How about the roster construction here, though, right now? I mean, obviously a lot of that weighs on the fact that the goaltenders need to make some stops. But when I look at this defense, and, you know, you've got the high-risk, high-reward sort of offensive types like Eric Carlson and Brent Burns on the same team, is there something to be said or questioned, at least, about the way that blue line's been constructed? Absolutely. You know, uh, to have the two best offensive D-men on the same team, you know, that's a luxury, but you still have to defend at the other end. And what we've seen from Eric Carlson is he likes to defend with his legs and his stick. And Brent Burns is sort of a wild card. You know, uh, he, he tends to get himself out of position. He He's strong and he's got a great stick, you know, and, and but he just tends to be a difficult, you know, player for a partner to play, be with because he's a little unpredictable. You know, he'll just kind of go off on his own a little bit, and that's what's costly. And, you know, you look at his minus 21, uh, yeah, that's pretty incredible. And so 
what what they need is you know both those guys really take a little bit more pride in in the defensive end and for Burns a little more discipline. And uh, you know Vlasic uh, is now with Carlson. They've been pretty good together. Uh, that hasn't been the pairing all year, but it's been the pairing for the last month. That has helped Carlson a lot, and Vlasic's been very good for since the start of November. Dylan now is with Burns because Shimmick is is recovering from a just a minor little procedure last Monday. Shimmick has been outstanding for Burns, so you know it's it's always a key is who is playing with these two guys, and that's important. So you know Mario Forrow is a nice looking rookie, and uh, he's on that third pair, and so you know they, they definitely have to get on the same page. They definitely have you know Bugner is somebody who's who can coach these guys, and if they can get harder and play on the inside in their own end, that's going to help move the puck out and spend less time in their end. That's the, that's where it all starts with them. And, uh, you know, maybe then the three pairings and the 6D will look a little better, but that's we're going to know probably better at the end of this month than right now if it really is going to work. Uh, Ross, uh, appreciate that. Uh, thanks for joining us today, and enjoy the game tonight. Sure. Thanks, guys. That should be a good one. Absolutely. Ross McEwen from the NHL.com, San Francisco Chronicle, down in San Jose. Uh, Wyatt, dash 23 for Brent Burns right now. And then people, oh, you're plus minus. Plus minus. You're bringing the plus minus. What's that? <laughs> That that in this case, it's not. I, it's very telling. Yeah, I, I think you know, he, as he's brought up, Burns is maybe struggling, and uh, I know it's interesting to hear those comments about him not being able to block the white noise at all times. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's he's such a key to that team. So, I mean, if the team's struggling, Burns struggling, kind of makes sense. But I, he is like he is such a unique player. Brent Burns, like it is, like what a weird career to go from forward to D to four. Like it's just, yeah, San Jose's got to figure, figure that out because, like, if, we were talked about earlier. Like, is this a team that needs to completely rebuild? But they already kind of went in with Carlson's. So, like, they can't really even do that. So, it's like they're kind of committed to the retool. Well, look at their back end. I mean, just just alone, they have twenty six point five million dollars in three guys. Yeah, and they should be playing end. better too. Like it is, it is. They are not playing well. They should be playing better than this. Like I know- e- even Mark Edward Vlasic, who's you know. Usually a stud back there in terms of defensive-wise. I mean, he's struggling as well this year. He's 32 years old. He's His contract has still got another, what, six years left on it after that? Something like that. So I'm wondering if they, at some point here, you know, you did suggest perhaps the rebuild. But, you know, that window is, you know, still relatively open, I guess, so to speak, uh, for the Sharks. But, I mean, they they, they continue to free fall right now. You know, they're, they're four points out of being the worst Team in the entire Western Conference right now. Well, that's almost all a solid retool move is to have one bad year, get that top five draft pick, and then you get back in yeah, there, right? Sure, so maybe, yeah, that's the, maybe that's the plan. That'll work it out for you. Uh, as of right now, uh, they got a, like very little, like most teams in the NHL, though, when you start looking at cap space, a lot of people are capped out, so to speak, uh, which isn't really an issue so, you know, that bad, de- depending on how many long-term contracts you have on your books. Outside of those Three big D men up front. Uh, they're carrying Logan Couture till you know another six years uh, or so, and then uh, uh, Evander Kane will be a UFA in twenty five twenty six season. So you know you're 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 basically linked to both of those guys. Timo Meyer, a nice deal at six million right now, uh, but you do have some money coming off the books. Do you, do you think there ever would be you know a chance where they might flirt with trading either uh, Carlson? And I'm not going to say Carlson because I feel like you know they've already went all in with Carlson, perhaps maybe they look at Dylan Burns? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it all comes down to what you get back value-wise, and if they feel that you know Burns is peaking, or they you know trade him now is still his value. I mean, I, I feel they're not going to trade Burns. I think he's kind of he's like that shark player they're going to ride with. But it is something like, what do you do to this roster? Like, do you write off one season? Let's just say the season goes down. But even if they write off the one season, they don't have their first round pick this year. Oh, they don't have the first round they pick. Don't have it, That's they don't. a bad. I suggested a bad retool. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they don't, they're, they're in trouble. Yeah, there. they don't. They've got the second. Oh. They've got Philly's third. They don't have their fourth. They got okay. the fifth. And yeah, they got one in the seventh. I mean, that's the way they've been kind of riding or dying with this roster. And I, every couple of years, I think they like, finally they're going to come to an end. But they keep. You know, getting that window open for another run. And to be fair, they've had like decent runs in the playoffs and, you know, they've given themselves a chance to win. And if you look at Washington as the team of like, you know, when people thought they were finally done their peak, they won the cup. And so like maybe that's what they're thinking that this team. But Washington never dipped though. Well, they did, well, compared to what they used to be, they used to be like, they were they like a powerhouse, playoffs, powerhouse. Like, well, like so San Jose has been in the yeah, playoffs. San Jose's flirting with not making, like, they could be the worst team in the West. Oh, they could bounce back. Look at yeah. they St. Louis last year. Where were they in December, oh, Andrew? Right. Where that's was St. Louis? Right. That's right. Everybody's going to pull the St. Louis card now. Ah, don't worry. Look what St. Louis did. Come February. And what did St. Louis do? They fixed their goaltending. So all St. Louis has to do is fix their goaltending. Oh, man. uh, You know, and the the thing is about their goaltending, too, as well. You got Martin Jones under contract uh, until the end of the 23-24 season. uh, And then Aaron Dell, who becomes a UFA after this season. But Aaron Dell's just been absolutely brutal as a backup. But Martin Jones, well, like, and it's so weird because last year in the playoffs, he started off poorly and then he picked it up, able to lead them to, and I'm still almost want to put an asterisk beside the fact that they made the conference final last year because they got, the, the Golden Knights got absolutely that hosed. Penalty. Oh, they yeah. got absolutely hosed. I don't care. Don't at me about this. They got hosed in that. I know Moj likes it. Maybe Moj is still listening there over at Divisions Electronics out there in Surrey. But, uh, yeah, they, they got, I mean, I, I feel like that you know they were almost lucky to be able to be in that position. But Martin Jones, my point is, did turn it around a bit in the playoffs last year. But, man, he has been bad this year. Yeah, that's the thing we're seeing with goalies, right? It's not like the old days where there was like five like really elite goaltenders that you would pay the $6 million to. Now it's like, it's every time you handed a big contract, you're always a bit worried because all it takes is some guy to come in on a cheap deal. You can have a good, strong season, right? Like that's, and they look at Markstrom. Like Markstrom, I think has been fantastic last year and he's been great this year. But like, say you all of a sudden you give him a $6 million deal, $7 million deal. He has one bad season. Like it's just like, do you want to commit that much money to a goaltender? And this is it's such a tough discussion to have. You look at Carey Price right now. Like, yeah. it's tough. Like yeah. goalies are such a tough position to pay a lot of money to, in my opinion. That's a good hook, by the way, because on the other side, we're going to talk to Harmon Dial, and I want to talk to him about the piece that he did recently on the Athletic about the Canucks goaltending. That's a so big you're going to want to stick right <laughs> here. We also have the code word to announce for the Wired Snowboards contest. So hey, don't go anywhere. Rink Wide is on your radio, and it's the show that always scores here on TSN 1040. So uh, give us sort of the uh, Coles notes of the piece and uh, sort of how you uh, prospect the way things are going to work out for the Canucks here. Yeah, so it's a really complex situation, of course, and a lot of people look at uh, the Seattle expansion draft in the summer of 2021 as an official deadline for the Canucks to to have to make a decision between keeping either Jacob Markstrom or Thatcher Demko, but the reality of the situation is uh, with Markstrom's uh, contract up, he's a pending UFA this offseason, that starts... That, that causes the clock to start ticking a lot sooner. And a lot of a lot of the factors that are going to go into this negotiation, the Canucks are going to be forced to really make the type of commitment that can indirectly make them choose between the two um, as, as soon as 
this this coming January, for instance. So to me, the, the two biggest things I'm going to be looking at are, number one, term, and the second, a potential no-move clause. Because I know for a fact that Markstrom's cap, I've talked to a bunch of player agents, they all say that Markstrom's cap is certainly going to be looking for a no-move clause. Now, what a no-move clause would do is force the Vancouver Canucks to protect Markstrom at the expansion draft. Or, or and, and what then right there you're making the decision well in advance um, and, and the other thing is of course term because if Markstrom signs for four or five years then that basically closes the book on Demko's long term future in Vancouver because they're not going to Demko's not going to play second fiddle to Markstrom for another four or five years so really it's uh, it's a tough really tough dilemma and how the marks from negotiations go and how much the Canucks are willing to budge um, on that front will really give us a, a good idea of where they stand on their two goalies. When you look at these two goalies right now, and especially after the performance that uh, Markstrom gave in the Carolina game, and you know Thatcher Demko in concussion protocol again, like is there a sample size that's big enough yet for the the Canucks to kind of have a book on Demko, or is this going to be one of those things where uh, they're going to have to just continue as the season moves along t- till they all ultimately make the decision on what they're going to do. Yeah, and, and that's the most difficult part because you're in a spot now where you might have to make uh, a decision um, on Markstrom. And really, that negotiation, you know what Jacob Markstrom is. He's going to be a starter for the next three or four years before um, hitting his mid-30s, and then he's going to decline like a lot of other goalies do. The big key here is what do you make of Thatcher Demko? And to me, this sample size to date, it's not big enough to really tell with any degree of confidence that Demko can be a number one goalie as soon as next season. And I, I talked to Jim Bang for the piece, and it seems that from the Canucks' perspective, they they feel the same way. I, I, Jim, Jim said that he, in his personal experience, um, doesn't find that he can really tell where goalies are at until they're 26 or 27 years old as far as whether they're ready to be a number one. And, of course, he, he mentioned some exceptions, but Demko's 24. And, and, and Benning said that they believe Demko is going to be a number one, but even they internally don't know when he's going to be ready to take over that mantle. And that makes it that much more difficult because while there are a lot of alternative goalie options in the UFA market, you've got Brayton Holpe, uh, Robin Leonard, Corey Crawford, Yaroslav Halak, Anton Hudobin. So you've got a lot of alternative options, but you don't know what you have in Demko right now. And that's the, the biggest challenge right now in making that decision. Uh, Harmon, uh, would you say at this point that it's almost a lock that they're going to go with Markstrom, or do you think there's any wiggle room there at all? As in, do you, do you think they're going to commit to lo- Markstrom like long term? Like, is that the, do you think that would be the plan for them? Just like they're a team right now, obviously trying to make the playoffs. It looks like they want to like make that splash. Markstrom, as you said, is more reliable right now. They know what they have in him. Does that almost wrap it up? That like Benning at this point would want to go with what he would view as the safer choice. Yeah, I'd agree on that assessment, especially, like, to me, this this organization has spent a lot of time, a lot of financial resources grooming Markstrom in the minors. It's been a long process. It hasn't been easy. They had to bring in uh, Ian Clark, who 
he's a really highly regarded goalie coach, but you also know that he's a really expensive one to hire. So they've, they've, they've pushed so many resources into developing Markstrom, and they know what he is right now. They have that certainty moving forward if they keep him. I'd be really surprised if, if they didn't push really hard to get Markstrom back. And, and the one thing to keep in mind is I mentioned that there are a lot of potential UFA uh, goalies on the market that could actually work in Vancouver's favor. And, and one thing that uh, a player agent told me was with, with UFA goalies, it's a really dangerous market because a guy like Markstrom hits the market. It's going to be a very limited market of teams that are looking for a number one goaltender. For instance, if, if a top four defenseman hits the market, if Chris Tanev hits the market, 10, 15, maybe even 20 teams are looking to, to bring on a Chris Tanev because you can always trade out, you can move out an extra defenseman if, if you bring on a top four guy. You can't do, do that at the goalie position. And so in looking at the market um, this summer, I see a lot of teams that have a need for number one goalie, but the problem is between cap flexibility, between rebuilding status, between teams having goaltending um, options in, in their minor league system, I just don't see a lot of teams that have the need and flexibility to commit uh, big money for, for Markstrom. So if there is a mixed market for Markstrom in UFA, that could work in, in Vancouver's le- uh, Vancouver's favor because now they have more leverage. They can say to, to Markstrom's camp, if your guy walks, he's not he's not going to get much in free agency. So that's something that we'll see if the Canucks are able to, to use that to their leverage. But that's going to be really important because the agent straight up said a lot of times it's not about cops, it's not about stats, it's about who who has more power to walk away. And in this instance, it could be the Canucks. Question: We saw with uh, you know Vegas Golden Knights a lot of teams making deals with them to take certain players. Is there a scenario in which it would make sense for the Canucks to kind of do the same thing to protect Demko? Like, I know obviously if you keep a player, um, the goalie market's not strong. I don't think you'd keep Demko to trade him, but viewing him as a you know a quote unquote insurance policy, if the Canucks think they are a team that's gonna you know go far or make some damage to the playoffs. I know Demko wouldn't be thrilled with the idea of playing behind Markstrom for a couple of years, but like, do you think they would ever have an idea of where they'd be like, you know, maybe we try and keep Demko around? Because you look at Toronto without, you know, Freddie Anderson's the show there. And if you don't have a goalie that you trust in the back of a spot, that can be trouble because you don't want to be playing Markstrom 70, 72 games a year. Yeah, and to that extent, I think there were a couple factors at play. I think for one, again, Jim... When he talked to me, he seemed that he told me he wasn't losing sleep over it. And they're going to take it in a day-by-day scenario. It really seems that they're going to take all the time that they have available to to make that decision. I'd be very surprised if if both goaltenders, um, Markstrom and Demko, weren't with the Canucks going into next season. Um, I think ultimately, though, the one danger is Seattle is going to be a rival. They're going to play in the same division. They would love to grab. They're, they're going to be licking their chops at this possibility of, of grabbing one of Markstrom or Demko, depending on the situation goes. And the Canucks could find themselves in a situation where if they think they're going to negotiate a deal to, to be able to keep both goaltenders, then Seattle could be, they could have all the leverage because if, if you're going that deep into the process, if we're talking, this is in the lead up, a few days before the expansion draft, the Canucks won't have many trade options left, right? And and then that's where, if the Canucks are really desperate, a team like Seattle could take advantage of, of Vancouver and really, really take them to the cleaners. So to me, 
that's a risk. I don't think it's uh, the Canucks should bank on the possibility of paying Seattle not to take uh, Markstrom and Demko, especially because the Canucks don't have any appealing, um, like any other eligible players that Seattle might find interesting. So to me, I, I think that's too dangerous. I think by next year's trade deadline, the 2021 uh, trade deadline, I think the Canucks are going to have to make a decision. That, that to me, is personally what, what um, I would think they have to do. So how pivotal is it right now, then, to maybe get a really good look at Mikey DiPietro while Demko is you know suffering from the concussion? Perhaps he'll get a start uh, maybe against Montreal on Tuesday. I mean, they've seen what he's doing in the AHL, but a very small sample size. But maybe you know, giving them a few NHL games can give them at least a taste of what's to come. Yeah, and I think whether it's the NHL or even through the course of the season with the AHL, I think DiPietro's development is a big part of why the Canucks are going to take their time with uh, with this with this decision because uh, I talked to one person they they said if 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 the Canucks believe that DiPietro can be an NHL goalie in two or three years. That would significantly that would make it significantly easy, easier to give up Thatcher Demko because you've still got a young goalie coming up to the system who could play in the National Hockey League, could potentially be a number one goalie. But that's a big assumption, right? And that's why they're going to have to take their time. I will say, however, I've been very surprised in a positive way with how DiPietro's handled uh, the adjustment to pro hockey. You don't see many 20-year-old goaltenders who are able to come into the AHL and, and he has, what, a 9-13 save percentage. He's put in some really solid performances. The jump between junior and the AHL is so, so big, especially because the American League for goaltenders can be, uh, it can be a tough environment because, sure, the shooters, the offensive players might not be as talented, but on the reverse, defense can be spotty at best. So um, I think from from Vancouver's perspective, Di Pietro getting a read on what he is as a goaltender, that's going to be very important for them. And that's why this decision is so layered, so complex. There's so many variables that go that are going to go into it. How worried are you that because uh, we know the internal pressure that there is on Jim Benning and you know to make the playoffs this year. How worried are you that uh, there's going to be sort of a knee-jerk reaction in terms of signing Markstrom especially if he continues to you you know, go down uh, the way he's been playing recently, and you know they want to make the playoffs this year because there's a lot of factors that are at stake right now. And you know, maybe without looking at the future, because this is uh, let's be honest here, this regime doesn't really look that far far down the road at times. And you know, if they're going to sign up Markstrom just to make the playoffs this year, and then you know have to deal with it afterwards, they might be stuck with a goaltender that you know in a contract they might not be happy with. Absolutely, and I think. Um, the the key really is going to be term. Like uh, the, the way I've, uh, I saw it last year, um, there were out of all the goalies in the league, there were only two that were good NHL starters that were 33 years old or or older than that, and and those two were Mark Andre Fleury and um, and Pekarine. Other than that, no goalie that was 33 years old or or above that. Um, held a 9-10 save percentage or above as a starter, and that's a concerning thing. And and you can even see it. I mean, look at look at all these bona fide number one goaltenders that are flaming out. Corey Schneider on waivers, 33 years old. Jonathan Quick, 
33 years old last year, 884 save percentage. He's in the 800s again. He's completely washed up. And you, and you look beyond that, Devin Dubnik, 33 years, 33 years old, and he's actually a really interesting comp to Markstrom as far as his career trajectory. Save percentage below below 900, dethroned as the number one in Minnesota. And the Wild now, Dubnik has uh, this year left and the year after. They're stuck with that contract. So it, it is a really dangerous thing. And, and the one thing that you can you can tell right away is, is goaltenders, by the time they get to 33 years old, they they really are starting to, to to decline perhaps a lot quicker than people may realize. And so the risk is going to be, can you keep that term down to three years? Because I don't think a one or two year deal is realistic. But at the same time, and, and again, it'll depend on how much leverage the, the Markstrom camp thinks they have uh, potentially going into the summer and, and how many suitors they, met, they might have. But a four- or five-year term would be really scary for the Canucks, especially you think, of, think about it this way. In four or five years, the Canucks want to be competing for a Stanley Cup. You don't want to have a goalie who's making you know, five or six million who's your backup. Right, and and so that's really dangerous, and to me, term is going to be the biggest factor. I don't think you're going to be comfortable going longer than, than three years uh, with Markstrom, despite how well he's, he's shown over the past 18 months in a Canuck uniform. Well, Harm, I'm glad you did the piece, because honestly, I don't think enough people were really considering this right now as the uh, season progressed, but this is something that the Canucks are definitely going to have to get on top of, and I'm a little bit worried on how things are going to play out here, but uh, appreciate you taking the time, and uh, if you haven't checked out the article, guys. Uh, just head over to The Athletic and uh, check it out over there. Harm, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, guys. Harmon Dial from The Athletic Vancouver. Uh, Wyatt, I mean, like, I'm scared of this whole thing. I, I am. Like, I, it's it's exactly what he just said there. If the window is realistically, you know, three, four years down the road, looking at Jacob Markstrom's age, looking at the fact that the Seattle expansion's hanging over their head, looking at the fact that they don't quite know if Demko is a number one or if Mikey DiPietro is the next one, say if they were to go with Markstrom and then, you know, sort of have DiPietro become the Demko after next season. There's so many factors to this and when you've got I don't want to say dead man walking because that's not the right term for it but when you do have the pressures that Jim Benning has on him right now to make this sort of you know season work it, it just doesn't make for a good recipe when, when is this team had oh, too much term and money sir when have they ever done that <laughs> I would like to talk to Tyler Myers about this. Uh, yeah, it is a concern. I would like to talk to Jay Beagle about this. I would like to talk to Roussel Louis Erickson has something to say about this. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a concern because it does feel like when Benning believes in something, he kind of goes all in. And if he believes that this, you know, whether he believes this is the team's window or if he has personal reasons to want it to be the team's window, um, you know, that is the scariest thing for me, a five, six-year deal for Markstrom. Because, again, we were talking earlier, it's tough to give that much money to... to any goalie, let alone a veteran goalie. And, you know, you got 24-year-old Demko, and, like, that age range is oh, nice. Oh, perfect. Right? That's a nice age range. If you just if, if you just knew exactly what he was, and, and, and things are trending the right way. Yeah, he's had a good showing. You, you, you still can't be, you know, and especially if you're in a position like Jim is in, because, like, let's face it, his job is on the line right now, and that's that's a tough spot to be in. Don't envy uh, Jim Benning right here, uh, but we'll see how it all plays out, and tonight we'll see how Markstrom plays as he faces the uh, San Jose Sharks at the Shark Tank in San Jose. The uh, Canucks have back-to-back games this weekend. We expect Jacob Markstrom to get both starts as, as we know.
know Thatcher Demko is in concussion protocol right now, and these are two big divisional games that the Canucks need. Uh, on the other side, we're going to do our last segment of the show here. However, I've got a pretty juicy quote from Jim Benning that you're going to want to hear. It's rank wide. It's a show that always scores on TSN 1040. Make a list, check it twice, and save big at Indigo Chapters and Coles. Enjoy 20% off when you spend $50 or more in-store. On now until December 15th. Some exclusions apply. Visit indigo.ca for details. I guess right now we should start the show. This is Rink Wide on DSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watton. Yeah, one last segment to go here on Rink Wide. Andrew Wadden alongside Wyatt Arndt, who's in for J.D. Burke. Wyatt's got the Army's duties tonight, so you're definitely going to want to uh, pay attention to that after the Canucks and the Sharks are done. This segment of the show is brought to us by our friend, brought to you, that is, by our friends at Tom, a salon experience for every man. Check them out at TomLife.com at 1 West Pender Street. They're open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. On the weekend, 10 a.m a.m. to 6 p.m. And while you're there, ask for my man, Adam. Uh, he always uh, cuts my lid quite nicely and uh, loves to talk sports as well. So uh, go down to Tom Life and get yourself a good cut there, fellas. I told you that uh, there was a pretty interesting quote, and this is courtesy of our friend uh, Jeff Patterson, of course, our man on the beat with the Canucks here at TSN 1040. It's taken out of the uh, province article. Um, yes, it's from Ed Willis's call. And this is from Jim Benning. He's played well down there, and he's talking about Sven Berchi, Benning said. But we've kind of evolved as a team, and our skill players are more hard skill than soft skill. Okay? And it was put to Benning that he's not asking for a lot in return. Uh, if, if he's not asking for a lot in return uh, in a Berchi deal, and Benning was quoted as saying, you've assumed correctly. Wow. Wow, poor that Sven. <laughs> Just put it in reverse. That Utica bus that used to get used down there, right over Sven. Right over Sven Berchi right there. Uh, yes, if you guys hadn't heard, our uh, very own Rick Dollywall breaking the news this morning that uh, Sven Berchi's camp has asked the Canucks uh, for a trade. Clearly, the Canucks are moving on from the player and maybe not fast enough. Um, that clearly has to spend the end for Goldobin because if you think Sven's soft, oh my there's no way Goldobin's yeah, playing with hard skill, right? But and, and, and you know, while we were in the break here, we were kind of talking about that whole quote of the hard and soft skill. And uh, Jason Croker, our producer, brought up, well, then what is Louis Erickson then? Right? Uh, it was just un, unnecessary flavor to that. You didn't need to add that. Yeah. That doesn't help his case. Even yeah. if you're trying to trade him. Like, yeah. don't throw it out there. You think he's soft skill, right? Like, that's it, a bit of a... That's a confusing one for me to, to This take. feels like a Jonathan Dahlane return coming back. Oh, I mean, I think at this point, yeah, on their end, they're just happy to get rid of that contract. Yeah. With, and, and rightfully so, oh, in terms sure. of, like, in terms of the, the money, yeah. yeah, sure, get rid of it, whatever. But, I mean, in my opinion, I would rather have Berchi up here than Erickson. I think Erickson should just stay in Utica until that contract finally goes away kind of thing, right? You'll save a little bit on the cap. I know you don't save all of it, but at least you'd be saving a little bit, and you'd be getting a player that can perhaps play you know, in your top nine, but according to Jim Benning, that skill, it ain't hard enough, so 
be interesting to see what happens there uh, with Sven Berchi. Uh Guys, one last piece of business to take care of here on the show, and that is the code word for the Wired Snowboards contest giveaway. Uh, we gave it the code word in the Sports Saturday show. If you didn't hear that earlier, here it is for today. Uh, text 104040 or email live at tsn1040.ca. Today's code word is Seymour. S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. Text or email that in with your full name. So you got to have Seymour plus your full name. Pretty simple here, guys. Text or email that in. You're in the contest uh, to uh, win a, wire, a snowboard courtesy of the our friends over at Wired Snowboards. It's the second year in a row that we've teamed up with Wired on this. And guys, I'm telling you, they make the best boards in the business, and they're made right in East Van, so you gotta like that. Alright, uh, why? you know what we didn't touch on here? And, and, and while you were here, I, I, I mean, you gave me this, this poll question, so I'm gonna have to get the final result. <laughs> Of it, excellent. Because I, I do love this poll it's got question. Some wide flavor to it. <laughs> um, I asked you guys today, and I've got to pull it up here. Sorry, I, I've got. I don't have it uh, directly in front of me. Here it is. Uh, we asked you guys today, and this is from Wyatt. Uh, if you could choose one power to take from the Canu- from a Canucks player, what would it be? Pedersen's shot, Hughes's skating, Markstrom's reflexes, Besser's flow. Uh, Three hundred and eighty-six votes in. What's leading? I'm assuming. Everyone wants to skate. Couldn't you skate? Yes. Yeah, everyone's running, like him. running away with it yeah. right now. 63% of the vote. Besser's flow in second at 90%. Really? Uh, Pedersen's shot at 15%. Poor Markstrom. I voted for Markstrom's reflexes, but that's because I'm an extendy. And hey, I probably wouldn't be sitting in this seat right now if I had Markstrom's <laughs> reflexes. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us today, man. That was awesome. Thanks, uh, we've had you on the round tables many times before. I'm sure we'll have you in again for that. The Armies tonight, you're on that duty. So guys, head over to The Athletic after the game and check that out. For Wyatt Arn, Jason Croker, I'm Andrew Wadden. Enjoy the hockey this weekend, guys. We'll see you next weekend.